chapter 19 of the story, uh, we see that the Israelites, they're moving back to Jerusalem and they're getting settled. Uh, And if you've ever moved, you know how horrible really horrible it is to move because you've got to take all your stuff and you've got to put it in a box and then you've got to put it in a truck and then you've got to, you know, you want your furniture to kind of be in the same condition uh, at the new house as it is at the present house. And so you try to tie up all of these chairs and things that are not designed to be tied up and you try to put it all together and, and you, towards the end of the day, you, you, you give up on putting boxes in the right rooms. And so you wake up the next morning and you're like, where's the coffee pot? And you're like, it's in a box someplace. And so you look in the kitchen and you can find the weed eater and your grandmother's, you know, egg dish from the thirties that you've not ever used and you're never going to use, but you can find that, but you can't find the coffee pot. And you go, didn't we have three children when we started this move? And you're like, they're probably all in the boxes in the garage. We'll find them eventually. And moving's hard because of just kind of chaos. It's good for you to do. It makes you throw stuff away. makes you get rid of junk. Um, And if you're like us, you move the junk only so you can throw it away at the new place because you'd hate to throw junk away at the old place. So you want to move it with you. Um, And then when you move, you don't just have chaos, but you have expenses. You get a lot of expenses. You got to rent a truck. You got to maybe buy boxes because you can't steal enough from your neighbors and friends. And then you've got to, uh, you know, put deposits down on utilities and get uh, phone service. And all these things started back up. Moving is just a chaotic and crazy time. And this is where the Israelites find themselves. They are in the midst of moving from one nation uh, back home uh, to Jerusalem. And as they are getting there in Jerusalem, they are moving under a specific mandate from the king of Persia, who was sending them back, really under the direction of God, I believe, to rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. Now, the uh, Persians were smart. Uh, They decided that they wanted their people to like them. And so they would move people back to the lands from which they'd come. You see, they had conquered uh, what was essentially the Assyrian Empire, And the Assyrian Empire, when they used to conquer people groups, they would say, all right, you can't stay here. You've got to go there. And they would exile people just just to completely different places. And they thought that what that would do would be to break their spirit and make them dependent upon the Assyrian Empire. All it really do was made them hate them even more. And so the Persians said, hey, listen, how about this? How about we let you go home and you just pay tax? And all the people said, hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And they went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now, the king has been paying for this, and he's helping with a lot of these, uh, these ventures. But when the, the Jewish people get there, and they start to unpack things, and they start to unload, and they start to set up temple shop, they start to run into some resistance. Uh, the surrounding neighbors and the other peoples in the area, they don't like this idea. The Samaritan folks particularly didn't care for it. And they made life difficult for the Jewish people in their rebuilding campaign. And so eventually the Israelites just stop. They say, you know, we got enough stuff going on. You know, we're still trying to get settled. We're still trying to get things figured out. And now all of a sudden we've got all this opposition. There's no sense in us doing this now. Why don't we wait? The temple project can wait and we can take care of things at home. You know, and not only that, but it's expensive. You know, we've got all these other expenses. We've got to plant crops and we've got to start businesses and set up shops and and refurbish our homes that have been destroyed. Now's really not the right time to do this. It's not the right time to begin this project. It's not the right time to start to pay for this project. 
And it's here that they start to fall really into the same trap that led them into exile, which is that they were failing to put God first. It was a difficult time, no doubt. No doubt. But they decided now was not the time for them to be giving. Now is not time for them to be serving. And it's the prophet Haggai that comes and really calls them back. And here we've got on the screen, and it's also on page 219 of the story, a quote. This is chapter 1 of Haggai. The first 17 verses, 15 verses. But on page 219 at the bottom, it says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. That's one of my favorite Bible names. Name your children Josadak. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Haggai is letting them know that they say, now is not the right time to give. And Haggai is reminding them that really it's always the right time to give. Because it's always the right time to be obedient. It's always the right time to put God first. Let me tell you, it's never the easiest time to give. It's never the easiest time to be obedient. It's never the easiest time to put God first. But it's always the right time. It's always the right time to do that. I I want you to know that I'm so delighted to talk about giving today. Because we're doing so well financially here at the church. The last two years, I know, uh, for other churches too, I've talked to them. It's been a hard, it's been a hard, uh, hard time financially. Uh, this morning there is no, if you do not give, we will not be able to buy more toilet paper or put electricity on or any of these things. Uh, that's, not, that's not the threat. This morning, I just want to look at what God's Word has to say about being faithful in our giving And this message is as much for me as it is for any of you, because this teaching is as much for me as it is for any of you. Uh, God is saying, listen, it is time to be obedient. It is time to be giving. It is time to to do what I've asked. And God puts this out here uh, from Haggai to the people, because the people are saying, you know, now's not the right time. And God says, well, look at yourselves. You say, now's not the right time to give. Now's not the right time to be obedient. He says, look at my house. And then look at your house. He says, your house is paneling. Apparently God likes paneling. He says, he says, look at your house. Your house is paneling in it. And it's nice. And it's kept up. And it's taken care of. And it's improved. But look at my house. I have no paneling. It's not taken care of. It's in ruins. And God is really kind of setting up this, this uh, struggle between the house of God and, and, and the people's house. Now today, we may, some people may refer to the church as the house of God. But the building isn't the house of God. We know that. It is the people of God. Uh, Peter says that all of us as believers being fit together as living stones into the temple of God. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, are you building up God's house or are you building up your house? I think it's so timely for us today that Haggai would actually call out the condition of people's houses versus the condition of God's house. Do you know what the home improvement industry is worth in America? In the last 12 months, I looked this up, $160 billion have been spent, not on home acquisition or purchases, but on improvement. Home improvement. That's like a 
billion and a half a month. Not quite there. I don't do math real well, but it's close. It's close to that. That's a lot of money. I wonder if God looks at us today and says, have you seen your house versus the state of my house? Which are you giving to? Which is first for you? Are you giving to my house or are you giving to the improvement of your own? It's a good question to ask. And this morning, there's some encouragement to give. And I want to look at that here. Uh, Let's continue on in the text. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Right here, God is is making it clear that if we, you know, if we withhold from God, there's a withholding that he does from us as well. There's a sense in Scripture that God blesses in proportion to the way that other people bless. He doesn't bless people to hoard and to, to control. He blesses people to be a blessing. And none of God's gifts uh, that he gives to us, uh, none of those are going to be outdone by our own gifts. And none of the gifts that we give to God are going to be unaccounted for. God is not going to forget your gift. God is not going to overlook your gift. God is not going to rem- not, for- not remember your gift. God will remember those gifts. Uh, God always, always turns blessings around back onto his people. Now, I-, I wish I could tell you that if you write a check for $100 today and touch the screen, you know, we're going to send you $100,000 back in six weeks now, if you, watch, if you watch a certain channel on cable, I mean, I know that they will do that. We don't, we don't run that, that promotion here uh, because I don't think that's what God does. It's not to say that every time you send a check, you're going to find one in the, the uh, mail or you're going to find a, a, a rare coin uh, in the change jar. It's not going to happen that way. But God says that he is going to bless his people when they turn around and bless him. Uh, one of the ways he does that is by increasing their hearts. By increasing their hearts. Uh, let me give you maybe a mental picture for this. When you give and you give to God, it is like paying for a spiritual remodeling in your soul. I- I'm serious about this. When you give to God, it is like paying for a spiritual remodeling in your soul. Uh, Jesus said this way in Luke. He said, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart follows. Now, a lot of times I think we read that in reverse. We say, you know, where your heart is, that's where we put our treasure. But it's opposite. It says where you put your money, that's where your heart, your heart's going to follow your money. And so if you, you keep it for yourself or you, you buy even more paneling for your house, to, to use Haggai's image, you, you do any of these things, then that's where your heart's going to be. Jesus says, but if you give to me, to the kingdom of God, to my purpose, then your heart's going to follow that. So if you want an easy step towards a spiritual remodeling, start giving. Giving increases our heart. It expands our heart. Richard Stearns is the president of World Vision, but he was not always working in nonprofit. He was pretty successful as a corporate something or t'other, 
Uh, and back in the 80s, he had a lot of money in the stock market. And back in the late 80s, he lost a lot of money in the stock market, about a third of his portfolio. Uh, when the stock market came down uh, and he decided to sell everything off and make his losses final, um, he, he figured that he lost about a third of all of his, his finances. And he started staying up really late at night. And he was running a 10-key calculator with the calculator tape. And, and he was running spreadsheets. And he wanted to know exactly what he'd lost and exactly what he's going to have to do to get it back. And he was staying up past midnight uh, for, for nights on end. And finally, his wife came to him and said, listen, um, this isn't healthy for you to be in here doing this. All of this math, it's, it's bad. Uh, I think money, I think you've got a problem with money. She just said it to her husband. And he said, I, I don't know what to do. And she said, I think we ought to give a lot of this away. I just think we ought to be rid of it. And what would seem to be some of the worst financial advice that you could take. Richard Stern's looking back on it about 30 years later, says, you know, it was the best thing for me. He said, when I wrote those checks, I felt liberated. I wasn't worried about where it was. I wasn't worried about what it was going to do. I wasn't worried about the fact that I lost it all because I'd given it all away. He experienced the truth that through giving, you can get a spiritual remodeling in your soul. And perhaps some of you are in that spot Maybe you're thinking about some of your recent losses, and maybe you're thinking about what you're going to do to make that grow, and maybe it's got an unhealthy grip on you. If so, the easiest way to, to get rid of that is to give it. It's, it's just a spiritual truth, to give it to God. I, I want to give you this morning here a, a few practical steps, but first I want to give you some encouragement because you don't have to do this alone. Uh, let's finish out the passage here of Haggai. It says, then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people that came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. I love this section of the Scripture because it lets us know that we don't have to do it by ourselves. You know, God has called these people to give, but then it says He stirred up the Spirit. He stirred up their hearts to do that very thing. He didn't leave them alone to do it. Uh, I want to look at a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. Because it's here that, that Paul kind of gets at this a little bit more. And in Paul's uh, writings, he says this, uh, talking about another church. He says, they went beyond our expectations of giving. And having given themselves first of all to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. You see what Paul is encouraging the church of Corinth to do, to do what the other church did, which is to give to God first. If God stirs up your spirit to give, I would encourage you, don't, maybe this is the first time for you, don't give today. Give it to God and this week pray about it. Say, God, what is it that, that we ought to do with this money? Now, I know a lot of people struggle with the church talking about money because the church is always talking about money. If you say that, you've not been here for the last six months because we've not talked about it in a long, long time. Uh, but some people feel that way and I understand that. I know a lot of churches do. And so what I'd encourage you to do is if you say, you know what, I just can't give to the church, that's fine. 
That's fine. I think you ought to. I think you should. But that's fine. I think you ought to give to God first. And so if you say, I just can't give to the church, that's, that's fine. Give, give them to God. And take that home and pray about that and say, God, where is it that you would direct this finance? Perhaps God would say, well, you know what? You should change your idea about the church. And maybe he would say that. Maybe he'd say, you know what? Start by giving to a mission or start by giving to this that ministers in my name and start doing that. Give that way. And church, I believe it is so healthy for us spiritually to give that I would rather you give someplace else than not give it all. I really would. I think that we all as believers have a, a charge and a challenge to give. Uh, giving is uh, in some ways a spiritual uh, thermometer. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 8, Paul gets at this and he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul makes it pretty clear to the church at Corinth. He says, listen, one of the ways I can test how you feel about me, this ministry and God's work, is by the way you give. We have a, a modern day saying for that is, is your money where your mouth is. It's true. And God is saying, listen, I, I want to know, are you invested in this? And the question this morning, perhaps, is what is your spiritual temperature? If we were to take it in that way, what would it be? But the good news is that the giving isn't just a spiritual thermometer. It's also a thermostat. We've already talked about that. One of the great ways, I think, to start our spiritual uh, souls increasing in their temperature is by giving. It's a great way to start. And I want to challenge you to really evaluate not just, not just that you give, but what you give and how you give. Uh, Jesus says in Luke that, that um, as he's talking about forgiveness and generosity and uh, a lot of these different things, he's talking about how uh, w- the way that we give, God will give in the same measure, the text says, um, you know, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God is going to pour that back on you. And so this morning, I want to ask you what it is that you're giving that God is able to turn around back on a blessing to you. If you've been moving, you know that one of the things you do when you move is you get a big box or trash bag. And in that box or trash bag doesn't go trash, but it goes stuff that's not quite bad enough to be trash, but that is not quite good enough to be yours. And that goes to the goodwill. You know what I'm talking about, okay? I perpetually have one of those bags in the back of my car because i got three kids that are always doing stuff to their clothes and their, their possessions. And it's not trash, but it's not good enough for us, right? That, that's how we kind of view this. We've got some clothes, and they're, they're good but they're not that good. And so we collect all of this box and this big bag, and what do we do? We eventually take it over to the Goodwill. Now, or, or you Salvation Army, St. Vincent Paul, wherever you take your stuff. Uh, and and the, the, the Goodwill does such a good job of making you feel good about that, right? They're like, oh, you turned that T-shirt of yours from that work thing that you did that you, you don't even work there or like those people anymore. You turned that shirt into a job, those jeans that are kind of worn where your wallet is, but, but not holy, you turn those into a job and you leave and you go, man, I've really done some good here today. Now, let's be honest, church. It's probably better to give it to the goodwill than toss in the trash can. But if that is the pinnacle of your giving, you're in trouble. I'm, I'm serious. Just think about this. If all you're doing is giving away secondhand stuff that's not quite good enough for you, but not too bad for other people, 
What is it that Luke says? It says that God is using that same measure. He's putting it together. He's packing it in good for you. He's shaking it together. It's running over. And one day God is going to take a giant goodwill box of all the blessings that weren't quite good enough for, for somebody else, but they're good enough for you. And he's going to take it and he's going to dump it right in your lap. And you're going to be left with all these secondhand pieces of grace. And you're going to kind of be like, well, what's that for? I left a t-shirt from, you know, Microsoft 2004 at the Goodwill. Church, let's be honest. God's called us to be generous people. And dropping boxes of junk off of Goodwill does not cut it. And so this morning, the question is, what is your spiritual temperature? What is it that you're giving? And what is it that you're giving God to return to you back in blessings? This morning, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. Put God first in your finances. Put God first in your giving. Don't give Him the leftovers. 